of our locations, Hilliard, Westerville, Short North, it is an honor to serve you. Every guest joining us for the first time, uh, we are so glad that you're here. It is an honor to serve you. And to all the men and women joining us today at three correctional facilities, come on. We're glad to be with you. Hey, uh, today is the, the last week of a series that we started this year with called First Things First. Um, but, but let me just say next week we start a series, a brand new series called How to Survive the Winter. Anybody feel like that is well-placed and well-timed in Columbus, Ohio, when we can go from like a 60-degree day to a six below zero, and it's about this time of year where, where my wife and I, we have no idea what to do with the dang kids. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's 16 degrees outside. We're in the house. We're stir-crazy. Everybody is. And um, it it always seems like this time of year, I start to make permanent plans to plant a Rock City Church in South Florida. Anybody with me? Come on. Is anybody with me? Would you like to be a part of that launch team just to go? Or maybe the Caribbean. I don't really know. Um, There is a place in the Caribbean nicknamed Rock City, so maybe that's a sign from the Lord that I should be preaching there at least six months a year. I'm not sure. But... (laughs) But we're going to be studying in, in this series, How to Survive the Winter. The, the, the sub, subtitle to that series is Winning the Battle of the Mind. And, uh, and what, what we're going to be talking about is, is how to win the battle of the mind, something we've, we've never done before. is We're, we're going to be actually sitting down with a, a, a Christian clinical psychologist. And um, I, I'm, I'm so excited about this because um, we're actually flying him in from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to, to speak with us. He, he is able to uh, connect both the scriptures and science and bring these two things together. How, how many of you know that, that even science belongs to the Lord? Come on, somebody. And, um, and, and, he, and, and God, God is just a brilliant creator. So he, he has created us body, soul, and spirit. And um, we, we ought to do a, a better job, I think, within the church teaching people how to live body, soul, and spirit. And, and I think sometimes we can do a disservice to people when we do a, a series on worry. And, and, you know, I just give you the Bible verse. It says, hey, do not worry. So stop worrying about your worry, right? Or, um, or the Bible says, do not be afraid. So just stop worrying and being afraid of stuff. And um, I believe that there's power in the word of God. Amen? There's power in the word of God. There's a practical side to living the Word of God that, that we're going to be addressing in this series, and I, I really, I'm looking forward to it. We're, we're going to specifically uh, be talking about two topics with the doctor. Um, soul health is one, soul health, body, mind, and spirit, and then identity is going to be the second topic, and I just, I, listen, I, I believe you're going to learn a ton. I'm, I'm learning a ton just in the conversations that we've been having leading up to uh, this, but I also believe that Jesus wants to set some people free in your mind and in your body and in your spirit. Amen? So, so it's going to be incredible how to survive the winter. But anyway, that starts next week. Let's, let's finish the series, First Things First. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, is a verse that we've read every single week since the beginning of the year. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 39. Remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. 
And uh, I think I, I helped some people practically understand how, how are we to put this to practice when I said, look, um, I've looked at the summers that I have left with both of my girls, and, and I've got five summers left with my 12-year-old before she graduates high school, and I've got eight summers left with my 10-year-old before she graduates high school. And, and so we are purposefully planning our summers. I, I, I'm putting this to practice as, as simply as I know how, and I hope that has helped you. But what I believe Moses is saying in Psalm 90, that's a, that's a psalm of Moses and David in Psalm 39. Lord, teach us to number our days. It's so that we would not only understand that we have a set number, an established number of days here on earth to live the life that God has created us to live, but so that we would live our days to the full. Amen? So that we would not waste our life, that we would not waste the time that we've been given by God, but that we would use these incredible lives that we have been given to the best of our ability. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And uh, I know, listen, if it were up to us, we wouldn't die. Amen? Like, we, if it were up to me, I would live here forever. If it were up to you and me, but it is not up to us. And the reality is, if you were here last week and you're here again this week, today you are one week closer to the last day of your time here on earth than you were last Sunday. Is anybody encouraged by that thought? You're glad you came to church. It's an uncomfortable thought. I know that it is. But I believe it is both biblical and necessary to be reminded sometimes of these uncomfortable thoughts. That we've been given one life to live. That, that we've been called by God to make a difference with the lives that we've been given by him to live. That we have a limited number of days to live. And according to the word of God, not only do I have a limited number of days, not only do I have a limited amount of time, but I have limited treasure to use, time, talent, treasure to use this side of heaven to make an eternal and lasting difference with my life. And I want you to know today that no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, you were created by God for God to make an eternal and lasting difference with the life that God has given you. You were created by God to make a difference. He's not given up on you. He never will. He never has. And you weren't made by God just so that you could make this world a better place. You weren't put here by God just to make the lives of people here now better. You were created by God to make heaven full. Not just to make the world a better place or your world a better place, but to share the world that you've been given, the life that you've been given and all the treasure in your life to use what God has given you to bring as many people as possible with you through the gates of heaven. Amen? We are here to make an eternal and lasting difference with our lives. And we can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. This church can't save anybody. But we know who can. We know who can. So we've talked about priority last week. We talked about big rocks, small rocks, big priorities, small priorities. If you, you really want to know what a person values in life, then look at where that person spends the most time and look at where that person spends the most money. And last week, we spent a good amount of time talking about the time of our lives. 
How, how do I know what I value by looking at where I'm spending my time? What does the Bible say about first things first as it relates to our time? Today we're going to spend a bit of time talking about money and what God's Word says about our attitude and use of the resources that God has given us. And one thing that I want to share with you right off the bat, and I hope that you, you already know this, but if you don't know this, you need to know God doesn't need our money. Come on, somebody. He doesn't need your money. You're just not that great, right? You don't have that much. Even if you have more than the person next to you, you're not that important. I'm not that important. And whether or not you give your time, talent, treasure, whether or not you tithe or don't tithe, listen, that's not going to determine whether or not God's redemptive plan on earth and in heaven will be victorious because he really doesn't need any of us and yet at the same time, he calls all of us and invites all of us to take part in his redemptive plan that is unfolding all around us. God, come on, somebody heard that and, and thought, yeah, I need to clap, come on. God doesn't need our money. He's not interested in our money. What he wants is our heart. Now the deal is, according to Jesus, that money and the heart are both intertwined and connected. And what Jesus says in the Gospels is, I can tell what a person truly desires and what somebody truly loves by looking at the way that person handles their money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, we say this verse backward a lot of times. We say that where, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Jesus is saying, no, that's not it. It's where your treasure is. Your heart will follow your money. And so you will give towards what you value. And the more you give towards what you value, the more you will value what you give towards. Your heart will follow your treasure. Your heart will follow your money. And this is an important topic. It is clearly important to Jesus, so important to Jesus, that of the 39 parables that Jesus teaches in the Gospels, nearly half of them, 16 of 39 of Jesus' parables regard money. If you were to read your Bible from beginning to end, and I would encourage you to do so, you'll come across about 500 or so verses on the topic of prayer but more than 2,000 verses regarding money, our attitude towards money, and our use of money. And yet somewhere along the way, just like mental health has become such an uncomfortable topic and a personal issue that, that we don't really know how to preach it and address it rightly at times, which is why we're going to, I hope, do a better job than we've ever done starting next week in regards to mental health and, and soul health and, and the, 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 the deal with identity. But, but we've also tended to do a great disservice to the people of God by not teaching biblical stewardship and what God says about money and our heart. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, there's a story that predates Moses by 2,500 years. This is a story in Genesis 4, 2,500 years before the Ten Commandments were given, 2,500 years before the law. In Genesis chapter 4, we see for the first time the principle of first fruits, Ever before we hear the word tithe, 
Ever before the word tithe is mentioned, we see the principle of first fruits at work in Genesis chapter 4. It is a story that involves two men, both the sons of Adam and Eve. Their names are Cain and Abel. And it says this in Genesis 4, chapter, or verse 2 through verse 5, that Abel kept the flocks, but Cain worked the soil. So Abel is a shepherd, and his brother Cain is a farmer. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits, or I'm sorry, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. I want to pause here for a moment. We're going to go back and read this again, but, but let's just understand there are two men, both the sons of Adam and Eve, both using their gifts, both doing more than, quite frankly, a lot of people today within the church do. They've at least brought an offering to the Lord. Come on, somebody. Like, like they, I believe that it's safe to assume that both of these men desire to honor God. They, they, they both are approaching the Lord with an offering. They, they both are seeking to recognize that, God, you've given me the ability to work, to think, to live, to dream, to plan. And so, Lord, because of this, I, I want to honor you. I believe both of these men desire to honor the Lord. And so both bring an offering to the Lord. And yet God looks with favor upon one offering and not the other. So what sets these two offerings apart? Let's read it again. Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, which if you have your Bible or it's on the top of your message notes, if you want to kind of underline in the course of time, which, which means that in the course of time, Cain, while he was producing, right, it's not, it's not um, the first thing that I do. Um, it's not the, the first offering that I'm giving. It's, it's in the course of time as I've been producing and as my production increases and I begin to look over all that I've been able to make, I've decided I need to bring the Lord a gift basket because obviously now, over the course of time, I realize I do have enough to participate by bringing the Lord an offering. And so Cain brought some of the fruits of his labor of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and the Lord rejects this offering. Abel, on the other hand, brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Notice the difference between bringing some of your work versus the first portion, the first fruits of your work. Abel is bringing the firstborn, which means that whatever he's, he's breeding, whatever he's trying to bring together to make, to make more uh, lamb or to make more goats or to make more sheep or, or chicken, whatever it is, before he, he can bring them together, to mate them before he knows if they're going to live and survive and, and thrive. He brings first fruits to God. He gives God first, and the Lord looks with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Now, the principle of first fruits, it is more than a money principle, and 
And uh, this is more than a money message, and I think you'll be surprised at how little we actually talk about money in this message because, again, God doesn't need your money just like God didn't need Cain's fruit basket. Come on, church. And, and Abel's chickens and lambs. Like, like God has enough lamb on his own, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need anything from you. God doesn't need your stuff. But what God wants to know more than anything of you and of me is does he have our hearts. What God wants to know is who comes first in your life. Do I come first or does something else or somebody else come first in your life? God wants to know of all the priorities in your life, what priority am I for you? Do I come first? Do you love me first? Or is there somebody else ahead of me? And if I could challenge you with just a, a few thoughts today on first fruits, I, I hope and I pray that that that, that the first fruits principle would be one that guides you all the days of your life. But let me just say, church, that God must be first in your life. God demands that he would be first in your life. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, and God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And if we could kind of just understand the heart of God, I think what he's saying is, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of slavery. I've done great things for you. I have forgiven your sin, and it cost me dearly. I have prepared for you an eternal home in heaven. I'm the God who desires to bless you and prosper you abundantly more than you could ever possibly dream or imagine. So because of who I am and because of what I've done and because of how good I am and how faithful I've been and will always be to you, you shall have no other gods before me. I will be first why I've encouraged you to put God first in your day. Start your day off with even just a few words of prayer. Lord, bless this day. This day has come from you. Thank you. Use me today. Start your week with worship and with rest. As we come into the presence of the Lord, we're recharged and, and we, we bring him the best of our worship. Start, start with God the first of your month with your tithe and, and honor him with the first fruits of your wealth. And, and start with the Lord every year. And it's why we set aside 21 days to pray and to fast at the beginning of every year. So that we're saying to the Lord that no matter what happens this year, it's because of you. All the great things that, that, that we're about to step into this year, it's all because of you. And I'm telling you, God's not so interested in how you pray. Just start your day with him. He, he's not so interested in how you worship, the, the style of worship that, that, that you, you prefer, the kinds of songs that you sing. He just wants to know, do I come first? Am I the first priority in your life? Do I have your heart? I know we give God a hard time often in life, and, and it seems like, God, you're such a jealous God, and I don't understand this. And, and the reality is, yes, he is a jealous God. And I would ask you to consider uh, your wedding day if you are married, or your wedding day if you hope to be married, or somebody else's wedding day if you just like to skip the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? There's some of you just, I've just decided to skip that whole thing. But if you can imagine on your wedding day, you're standing before your bride, men, and, and uh, you've rewritten the vows. She has no idea that you've rewritten the vows, but you, you went ahead and rewrote the vows. And, and, uh, or, or, or maybe, ladies, you can, you can consider this. You've rewritten the vows. He has no idea you've rewritten the vows. And, and uh, when it's your time to speak, 
For the first time, they're hearing you say, listen, I love you, and uh, I'm committing my life to you, and you will always be at least second or third in my life. Come on, church. And the reason you'll always be second or third is because there, there is that, you know, that girl from high school. I, I kinda, I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that at some point in the next few years we can rekindle that flame. And, and uh, you know, there, there are, there are you know, I just want to leave possibility for a few flings along the way. But listen, I promise it's not going to be more than one or two. You'll never drop below two or three. That is my commitment. How many of you know that wedding would not last very long, that it would probably be over in that moment? Well, this is how the Lord considers you. God did not create you so that he could build a religion around you that points to himself. God created you so that he could personally build a covenant relationship with you. Let me say that again. God did not create you so that he could form a religion around you that would simply point to himself. God created you so that he could build a personal and covenant relationship with you. He loves you. And when it comes to first things first, first fruits, what we do first, what I think first, what I pray first, what I give first, God is not asking of us what he's not already given to us himself. For God so loved the world, he gave his first and his best. Ask yourself, who was Jesus putting first as he hung on the cross and he suffered and he bled? Was he putting himself first? With all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus could have called down legions upon legions of angels from heaven to rescue him off that cross. And at his command, they would have certainly done that. But he chose instead to suffer to bleed out, to die, not because he was living with his best interest in mind. He, he prayed this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any way, Father, that you could take this cup from me, if there is another way, then come on, you're running out of time. Father, show me what that other way might be. But if there is no other way, may I remind you and may I be reminded myself, it is not my will but thine be done. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for a world full of people who are desperate and dying because of the impact that sin has had in them and around them. And I want to set some people free. Come on, church. That's what he did on the cross for you and for me. So God must come first. How do we put God first? We put God first by making him the first priority among all the other priorities in our life. We, we put God first by giving him the first of everything. What I do first matters. What I do first reveals priority. What I give to first reveals what I truly care about. It reveals my values. It reveals the true love and the condition of my heart. And it's not just a money thing. It is everything because God is worthy of more than a tithe of my income. He is worthy of a tithe of everything in my life. And even more than that, he is worthy of all my life because I wouldn't have a life if not for him. I wouldn't be alive if not for him. 
I can't dream without his blessing. I can't work without his blessing. I can't think without his blessing. I can't build anything without his blessing. And the moment God decides to humble me, should I decide not to humble myself, down falls the world that I've built. I own nothing. I am nothing apart from you, Lord. And everything I have, it comes from you. Therefore, whatever you want from me, you can have it. That's why Leviticus chapter 27, verse 20, it says, A tithe of everything, of everything, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. A tithe of everything. What is Tithe, it, it means tenth, but not just any tenth. It means first tenth. Tithe is first portion. It is first fruits. And God has, has said here that the tithe is not only valuable to me, that it belongs to me, but it is holy unto me. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says this. If you want to know, well, what's the purpose of the tithe? The purpose of tithing, according to the word of God, is to teach us to always put God first in our lives. That's not my word, that is God's word. So it's not about money. God doesn't need our money. His plan will prevail with or without you and me. None of us are that great, but it is about our heart. It is about the priorities of our life, whether or not we are willing to put God first. I believe the reason that God gives us a percentage and he says the tithe, it means first tenth. It's so that whether you earn $60 a month or $60,000 a month, the, the amount may not be equal, but the sacrifice is equal for everybody. And it's to teach us to put God first. That's why this letter that I got this week from uh, a resident at one of our prison campuses is, listen, th th this gets me more excited than just about anything that, that, that could ever happen in our church. Because here, here's what this Handwritten note that we received this week says, watch this, Rock City Church, please accept my tithe as an appreciation of the ministry here at CRC. I consider myself a member of this church. A TV minister years ago once hosted a show, and on his show, he challenged his viewers to tithe wherever you are spiritually fed. Rock City Church feeds me weekly. Please don't send me anything like books, just keep offering the Sunday night service. My prison salary is $24 a month. His tithe check was $4. But I accept Pastor Chad's admonition that if I'm not faithful with small amounts of money, I will never be able to honor God with larger amounts. I love you guys. Thank you for connecting us to a vibrant body of believers. And he signed it, at prison, but in Christ. Come on. At prison, but in Christ. And can I just tell you, that $4 tithe check, it was tithe plus an offering because $24 a month, the tithe was $2.40. The, the above and beyond up to $4, that was offering. He, that, that tithe check and offering check is more valuable to me, and God looks upon that with greater pleasure than, than he looks upon somebody's fat check that doesn't cost you anything. Come on. Because the sacrifice, it's a heart thing, not a money thing. And I believe if first fruits is what God desires, then first fruits is what God gets. 
That's why my wife and I, we've, we've always done this. Listen, I, I don't even want the tithe to touch my hands. I, I want to take it out of my, my paycheck before I ever get to take it home because I don't ever want to be tempted with trying to figure out what else I might be able to do with the tithe. It does not belong to me. It belongs to him. And the amazing part is this, that God has obligated himself to bless first fruits. God has obligated himself to bless first fruits. He says the tithe belongs to him. He says it is holy unto him. And here's what he says about first fruits. I'm going to give you two passages. First, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6 through 10. In all of your ways, not just financially, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him. And then because he knows that money matters to us, he gives us a clear cut example financially. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops, then Here's the promise in God truly obligating himself to bless first fruits. Your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Here's another one, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, whatever church God has planted you in. Give your tithe, bring your tithe to that church. And, and uh, I just want to encourage some people because, listen, you, you might look around. We're, we're running out of space. We probably need to add more services, whatever. So I might encourage some people to find a new church by saying this. I don't really care. But if you can't trust this church by giving your tithe here, then, then let God lead you to a different church that you can trust and give your tithe to and be uh, an engaged part of that body of believers that are making together an eternal and lasting difference in that place, in that city. If you don't like this church enough to be able to financially invest here, then ask the Lord to lead you someplace other than here where you can engage and invest and live life to the full the way I believe God has created you, designed you to live. So I'm just giving you permission to consider if this house is the right house for you. I would also encourage you to approach this topic with a bit of skepticism. I believe the Lord in this passage, Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, is encouraging us to approach this topic skeptically. That's why he says, only time in all the scripture, test me in this and see. Because he understands that God, things don't always make sense to us. And so he says, hey, if you want to do this and, and you feel like you need to do it a bit skeptically, then do it a bit skeptically. Just watch how I'm faithful and true to my word. So I would encourage you, if you, you're not a tither, that, that, that you would ask somebody that you know has been faithful in this, not, not somebody who gave one time, but somebody who's been faithful in this, and, uh, and ask them how it works in their life. And what I can tell you is this, that, that I've never met a person who's been faithful in tithing that has regretted being faithful in tithing. Because God's word just works. I would encourage you to ask somebody. Ask more than somebody. Ask somebody's. I would encourage you to set aside a, a, a portion of time, days, weeks, months. It's why we put this card in every worship guide. It's, it's a tithe challenge. And, and I, listen, I, I just think this is biblical. On the back it says this, I'm taking the 90-day tithe challenge because if God says test me in this and see, then I think as a pastor of a local church, then I ought to be able to say, hey, take 90 days. If, if you can't trust this church to tithe here, then find a church that you can trust to tithe there. Take 90 days tithe, give God the first fruits of your income for this amount of time, and be skeptical the whole time through, take notes, 
track everything, and at the end of 90 days, see if God has not been faithful to his word. And our challenge is this. If you, if you do that here and you, you fill this card out here, if at the end of 90 days you decide, you know what, I, I think you're, you're smoking crack. Like this, this just doesn't make sense. It didn't work. God's not been true to me. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to prove that he's not been true to you. We would just say this. Here's your, here's your tithe check back. You can have everything back that you've given these last 90 days because we don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. But what he wants is your heart. Now, does our tithe do practical things? It does. It, it builds churches. It, it, feeds, it feeds people who are hungry. It, it, it advances the gospel around the world. It supports pastors and missionaries overseas. It runs dream centers. It, it does all the work the local church has been called to do. It does that, but that's not the reason we give, amen? We don't give because we get to see what's happening with our giving, even though we are a part of a church where we get to see that all the time, very clearly, how God is working through the generosity of the people in this church. But that's not why we do it. We do it because we want to put God first. The way I see it, there's only five things that we can ever do with our money. Number one, we can pay taxes with it. And uh, y'all, we will pay taxes with it. <laughs> you don't want to pay taxes, then just don't work, all right? Just just don't work. You, you can avoid taxes probably by not working, but you can spend it. Once that paycheck hits the bank and the taxes have been removed, you can spend it. Uncle Sam got his. Now you've got yours. You get paid. Go find stuff to spend it on. Number three, you can use it to repay debt. We know this. I just, I'm, I'm telling you, this is what we can do with our money. We can pay debt, house payment, car payment. You owe somebody, pay that off. We can save and invest. Dave Ramsey's big on this. He says you ought to have at least three to six months of savings in, in your bank account. And, and so you might want to start working toward that. And, and, uh, and just a, a quick plug, when we start uh, small groups in a few weeks, we, we do offer financial peace groups. And so if you feel like you need to get your finances in order at the beginning of the year, man, do that. And I think uh, maybe for the first time we're even offering the Dave Ramsey Legacy uh, curriculum this year and and that's if you've gone through financial peace and you feel like you're putting those principles to work and you're ready to to move on to bigger better things then join a legacy group it's going to be incredible and then number five we can give it to friends family charity church now i believe this list is really upside down according to first things first principles and and, and first fruits principles but the reality is only you can decide and determine the order of this list. Only you can decide what truly matters most to you. Only you, somebody else can't decide this for you. Only you can decide. It is your decision to make. You order this list. But what you decide is going to reflect either a you-first heart or a God-first heart. How I order this list for me is going to reflect either a me-first heart or a God-first heart, but it cannot, will not reflect both a me-first and a God-first heart. It is one or the other. I want to close with this passage in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is speaking straight to this, this topic. And he just lays it down for us. He says, nobody can serve two masters. You can't live a me-first life and a God-first life. You're going to have to decide. No one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
And then because Jesus understands the heart of man, he knows that we have reason to worry. There's always reason to worry. He understands how hard we work to make things work. And so he speaks to that. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans, people who don't even love the Lord. They run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But of all of these priorities in your life, notice what Jesus says. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these other things that we just talked about will be given to you as well. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When it comes to all of the priorities in your life, this is a first, the, the first fruits principle. He says, seek me first. In other words, order matters. That was the title of the first message of this series. It's where we began and it's where we'll end today. Seek me first and you'll have what you need. Put me first and watch how I prove myself faithful. Put me first and every other priority in your life will be much easily, will much easily fall into place. Is God first? Does he truly have your heart? When it comes to money, is this the one area or one of the areas in your life where you've not yet fully trusted him yet? And might you, at the beginning of this brand new year, Put God to the test as it relates to this. Because I believe the more that you test him in this, the more that you will trust him if you lack trust in him now because God is good and he always honors his word. So test him. The more you test him, the more you'll trust him because God is faithful. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes at every location. Lord, Help us see this. Help us live this in Jesus' name. There is so much that you have for every single one of us. There is no reason why we ought not trust you with everything in our life, with everyone in our life, with every part of our life. May your blessing be unlocked in the lives of every person in our church, in every home in our church. Because we've chosen to honor you, to put you first. May this principle be unlocked in every heart, in every home. Not because you need anything from us. You can do your work without us, but you invite us still to be a part of what you're doing and what you want is our heart.
Your word tells us that we love because you first loved. And anything that we do that's good, it is in a response only to the good things that you've done. So Lord, as we pray right now together, I pray that we could reflect on the good things that you've done, the life that you've given, the sacrifice that you've made, the promise in your word that tells us that though we've all sinned and we've all fallen short and the wage of our sin is death, the gift of God, because of what you gave first, your life, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. So I want us to pray together right now whether it's a first-time decision you're making to trust him or it's a recommitment of your life to him, would you just pray with me right where you're at? Jesus, here I am. I trust you. You are good. You are faithful. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of all of the unrighteousness in my life. I choose you now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. As I receive salvation from you, joy, peace, life, blessing, purpose, I receive all of these things now, and I commit to walking with you, to following you all the days of my life, to make an eternal and lasting difference with my life because of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, at every location, can we honor Jesus by putting our hands together? Come on.